Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, as we said when we started, as we just finished singing, this past week we celebrated the glorious truth of Easter. Christ the Lord, risen from the dead, and because he lives, each one of us will also live forever forever in paradise with our Heavenly Father. It is the culmination of God's work from that first promise after the fall into sin, all the way through all his acts in the Old Testament. It is the the end point of Christmas. It is the victory parade that celebrates that battle that was won on Good Friday. It is God's greatest triumph, God's greatest victory, and it was won entirely for you. In fact, it is the very reason we tend to worship on Sundays, because each worship service all year round is is a mini Easter celebration that celebrates that truth. Christ is risen and the victory is won. And so here we are, one week later, to celebrate it again, in a sense. But let me ask you, did you have any trouble this past week feeling victorious? Because don't get me wrong, Easter service was great. I felt very triumphant when it was done, but then it ended. And I had to go back to life, right? And as I went to order my Easter takeout, the website didn't respond quite right. And then the traffic to go get it, well, it had my usual mix of bad drivers. And you know what? They forgot the butter to put on the bread. And then during the week, I couldn't sleep when I needed to. I ate more Easter candy than I intended to. I couldn't stay focused at work. The the work that I had to do kept piling up faster than I could keep up with it. Stuff around the house broke and had to be taken care of more to do than the time or energy to do it, and throughout it all, probably worst of all, I kept giving in to sins. Sins that I know better. Sins that I have fought and lost the battle with time and time again, from anger to gossip to lust to coveting. Just a week-long string of failure. Taken all together, that doesn't seem like much of a victory. The eternity that Christ has won for me is a nice-sounding thing that feels like it's sitting on a shelf waiting for me someday. But in the meantime, I don't feel very victorious. I don't know any of you very well personally, of course. But I do know about human nature, and I know about the world we live in, so I can hazard a guess that your week wasn't a whole lot different. I can safely say your week had challenges, both internal and external, challenges that you struggled with and probably don't feel quite up to. Friends, how does that daily experience of struggle and failure How does that work together with the message of Christ's victory that we celebrated Sunday and and continue to celebrate year-round? How do those two mesh? 
Well, that's what we're going to take a, a closer look at this morning. Our lesson today comes from the first letter of John we're going to read in chapter 5. I'm going to read the whole thing through and then we'll look at it piece by piece as we go. He writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And this is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. This is God's Word. So John begins here by, by setting the stage with a logical progression for us. He reminds us who we are now. We are born of God because we love our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a thing we have been able to do ourselves, but something we confess God did for us. Through the waters of baptism, through the Holy Spirit working in that message of the gospel, we are made new. We are born again and brought to faith. And so now we know that Jesus is our Savior. We know, I know, that he rose from the dead for me specifically, just like he rose for you specifically. You know that. And we know the eternal life that belongs to each one of us because of him. And the, the heart of faith that God has put in us through that work is made in his image. That heart of faith loves God. It loves the things that he loves. Now, we have this heart, again, only as his gift by faith. It's not something we do ourselves. And, and John tells us that this heart shows itself. He says, everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. He says, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to carry out his commands. Okay, so just follow with me here. Our faith is the means by which we take hold of that salvation Christ won for us at Easter, on Good Friday and Easter. And faith is a gift from God. And the evidence, evidence that that faith is within us is how we respond to God. It is the proof, as it were, that we love him. And that in loving him, we love not only his children, but that we do what he commands. And, and really, if you look at his commands... Aren't his commands just love God and love his children? Okay, so how we show that, showing that love is the evidence of the faith that saves us, that earns, that gets us that victory that Jesus won on the cross. Let's pause there. Anyone else feel a little nervous about that string of progression there? And what, what's sitting there at the end? If the evidence of my faith is how I show love to God and to the people around me, 
I'm not super convinced. <laughs> and even more so when I start to really dig into what God means by love in those statements. If I were to, to take the time, and I, I mean, obviously I have, but if we were to take the time to study his commandments in depth and what those commands really ask of us, I fall severely short. Because God says to love him above everything else, and I put all kinds of stuff before God in my life. Every day. I mean, I just have to think back to whatever my latest crisis was, whatever gave me the latest panic attack, when, when my life is disrupted, I am not a rock of calm because I know God is still there. No, I am, a, I am a mess of anxiety until my bank account is back in order or until the authorities have solved the issue or until the doctor has given me the news I need. And when God asks me to give something up for him, I say, okay, God, you can have this, but this is the stuff I can't give up no matter what. I need these. And of course, the implied end of that sentence is, I need these more than I need you, God. But I do it. And that's just how I show love to God. When God says to love your neighbor as yourself, and I think about how I behave to the people around me, how many times have I been too absorbed in what I'm doing and, and just wished my wife could solve her own problems instead of asking me for help? How many times have I gotten upset at that other driver on the road or, or the other customer at the store who's inconvenienced me? How many times have I mumbled in my head about that other member in the congregation because they're not behaving how they should? Or maybe just how I would. I don't carry a heart of love and concern and joy for God's people. I carry one of selfishness and of, of judgment. I try not to, but it's hard, right? It's a nonstop struggle, and I feel like I always lose. And if showing love for God and showing love for his people is supposed to be some sort of comfort, knowing that that's where how I have faith... That's not much comfort when I look at my track record. And so I go back to our opening thought. I hardly feel like there's any kind of victory going on here at all. Okay. Let's, let's stop pausing there and continue our reading. Because John continues, he says, His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. A couple new thoughts introduced there. Let's take a look at them. John tells us that God's commands are not burdensome, which, given everything we just talked about, might seem like one of those statements you kind of squint your eyes skeptically at, right? But... As much as I fail at them, as much as guilt hangs over my head over the law, they, they feel like a burden. And wouldn't we think it'd just be easier to not have to do all those things? How can you say they're not burdensome? 
But John says, everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now, in this case, he's using the world as, as a metaphor, a stand-in for the opposite of God, right? The opposite of holiness, in this case, sin. John says we overcome the world. We, we triumph over sin, and we do this by faith. We overcome by faith in Jesus Christ. Because of the victory Jesus won for us on the cross, and proved to us through his resurrection. We overcome. You see, the problem isn't the law. It's not the commands. God's law is not a burden. In fact, God's law, God's commands are a joy. The Bible frequently refers to God's law as good, and it's not wrong, obviously. Every single one of God's commands is given for one reason. It's given out of love for you, out of concern for you. It's not there to chafe you. It's not there to steal your fun. It's like the rules your parents set up for you when you're a child or, or that you try to set up for your own children. I'm not going to defend everything every parent has ever done. We are all still sinful. But in general, things like don't play in the street or don't touch the stove or don't put that in your mouth. What, what are those rules designed for? Well, they're designed to keep you safe. And things like having a, a bedtime or, or making you play outside when you'd rather be watching TV or think th those, those things are there to, to keep you healthy and, and well and teaching us to, to mind our manners at the table and be polite to strangers, help us learn how to interact as we grow up. It could go on and on. Now, we may not have appreciated those rules at the time, but those rules were not designed to be a burden. They were designed to help us and keep us safe. It is absolutely the same with God's law. His commands are not burdens. His commands are here to help. It's difficult for us to accept sometimes as adult human beings, but we're really not past childhood when it comes to God. God still has the, the parent-guardian perspective, no matter how much time we've spent here. The honest truth is, he knows better. Maybe sometimes we can understand his reasoning, and maybe sometimes we can't, but he's always right. And his rules are not arbitrary. He commands us to love him first because he is the only way we are saved. And he commands us to love each other because that is the best way to live at peace with the world and with those around us. To do this is not a burden. It is a joy. And when we don't do them, I think we can all think back, failing his commands only causes us more grief. It only leads to trouble. Living life within his commands, it doesn't make life completely grief-free but it is living the best life we can. So if his commands are so great and we want to follow them so much, where is the burden? Where is the disconnect? Because we've obviously evidenced we struggle with this, right? The law is good. The problem is me. The law is not broken. I am. 
In Christ, we want to do his law. We want to carry it out. And we try, but as we've already talked about, we frequently fail. And that can be hard. Because then we, we end up piling guilt on top of that. And we get troubled over it. Not to mention those, those actual repercussions of falling into sin. But John tells us here, the one with faith in Jesus overcomes. This is the victory of Christ that helps us overcome. This is where we share in his triumph. And he does it for us in two amazing ways. First of all, we inherit his triumph on the cross. All the times that we've wanted to do good and failed, all the times we continue to fail, every single one of them is washed away already, even the ones we haven't done yet. Every infraction of his law is already laid on Jesus on Good Friday. Has, he has already been punished for it. The penalty for the crimes is paid and you are forgiven. Every time that we give in, every time we fail and feel the sting of that guilt, we have the opportunity to look to our Heavenly Father and His immediate reaction is simply, I forgive you. Forgiven, forgotten, and washed away. Jesus rose to prove to you that this is a fact. His victory is your victory. You have overcome the world. You have overcome sin by faith in Him. And if getting rid of the, the record of our crimes, the guilt of our crimes, wasn't enough, he gives you more. Because faith is not just knowledge of a thing. Faith is literally the power of God welling up within you. And that power is given through word and sacrament that makes you strong enough to overcome that faith builds up a heart that not only loves God's law and wants to do God's law, but actually is capable of carrying God's law out. Not to be saved. You're already saved. Not to do God's law perfectly. You can't do that. But to do it better. So that life here is better. So that we stick closer to the path he's laid out for us on the way to his eternity. The closer we stay to the good rules that our loving Father has given us, the better our lives will be. And that's just the nature of his rules. And so being with God, being in his word, making use of his sacraments, all of those are here for you to build up your faith. That faith is our victory. That is how we overcome the world into eternity. That is the faith that gives us the power to overcome temptations here and now. In Christ, we have been given the power to be who he calls us to be. To be children who love him and love each other in all things. And when we fail... He's always there to remind us that we are forgiven. And so finally, brothers and sisters, what can we do 
right now, today, about this amazing blessing? How can we drive ourselves further to, to share in this victory that Christ has won for us? Just stay close to him. We find in him his word. He gives us everything we need in his word. He teaches us the law there. And the better we understand his law and what he wants for us, the better we can strive to carry it out. Again, not to be saved. Not to, not to somehow earn his favor and look better to God. But just because we want to. Because we love him and it's only good for us. In his word, he teaches us everything he has done for us as well. The victory on the cross, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of faith. Because when we do fail, he's there to lift us back up and give us the strength to try again. And through all of that, he keeps that ultimate eternal victory in our sight, that eternal rest of heaven waiting for us. Brothers and sisters, everything Jesus has to teach us, everything God has to teach us is good. Through learning it, through holding it dear, through letting it grow us, his victory is our victory every day. Amen.